Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is the recipient of a grant from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. This episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is sponsored by BetterHelp. Right now, so many of us are dealing with stress, trauma, and grief. Something we talk about on this podcast, which I strongly believe, is that people need to be acknowledged and supported by community to heal. This is a pretty tough thing to do when we're isolated, apart from family, coworkers, and friends. In the last few months, I've been using BetterHelp to meet with a counselor online and share some of my own challenges. You can research different counselors and find someone who's just right for you. Communicate with your counselor in the way that makes sense for you, video, audio, or written messages. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp makes it easy to receive the acknowledgement and focus time you need to get through these challenging times. We have a special offer for Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash grief, gratitude, greatness. Head over and start talking to a counselor today. For 10% off, visit betterhelp slash grief, gratitude, greatness, or check out our show notes. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores the different ways we grieve, the gratitude that allows us to persevere, and the greatness we discover along the way, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. When Tiana Hill met Kwame Lassiter, a defensive back for the Arizona Cardinals, she fell head over heels. Soon they began a relationship. He made her feel loved, and they planned for a future together. Kwame treated her son as his own, which convinced her that this was the man she wanted to spend her life with, even though he was married with children. She and Kwame would go on to conceive a daughter together. She patiently waited for the divorce that he repeatedly promised would happen. She understood that he was staying in the marriage for his kids. But as the years passed, she began to doubt it would ever happen. She held to a glimmer of hope, but it never came to pass. Kwame had cardiomyopathy, a form of heart disease. Tiana knew about his condition and worried about his health. In early 2019, Kwame died of a heart attack. In the wake of his death, Tiana found that there was no mention of her or their daughter in his will. And through later conversations with his family, she discovered many other secrets he had kept from her throughout their 16-year relationship. As a football star, as a father, as a community member, Kwame was well-loved by many. But for Tiana, who should have known him better than anyone, it turned out there was so much she didn't know. Tiana's grief was complicated by his dishonesty. In an instant, she had gone from being his intimate partner to a complete outsider. When she arrived at his memorial service, rather than being comforted by the community, 
She and her children were made to feel that they didn't belong. Imagine going to the funeral of the person you love, the father of your child, and not being welcome there. It was so many emotions, and both of my children were with me. I had to find some courage to march up to those doors. What context did your children have for this situation? My son, he was aware of everything. From pretty early on, he knew the situation. But my daughter had no idea. And I didn't prep her necessarily also because I wasn't sure what we were going to find. I thought, well, maybe we'll have this conversation after. (laughs) We did have it after, but it was because it all came to fruition right there in the moment. I mean, here's this situation where you're deeply in mourning. Right. And so is this other family that's also his family, just like you're his family. In having that courage to walk through those doors to the service, you're also being really protective, particularly of your daughter. I was, and especially because someone had a a snide comment about, oh, that's his daughter questioning and, and in front of her too. So that was hard. She knows who her father is. And then for someone else to question it because he wasn't necessarily upfront about it, it was heartbreaking. But you made it through the service. You stayed through the whole. Well, it wasn't necessarily a service like where someone gave a speech or anything like that. So it was a viewing of the body. We stayed around for quite a while, tucked back in a little corner outside because we were told we weren't going to be able to see him by his sister-in-law. So his wife's sister came out and she said a lot of things. It was a scene. There was definitely a scene that was made. Mm-hmm. And she said that we weren't welcome there and that we would not be able to see him so that we should just leave. And I couldn't accept that. We do deserve to see him. It's his daughter. And so we went and sat in a little corner for a while, like kind of tucked out because there were so many people coming. I mean, it wasn't huge. It was a very small service, very private viewing. And finally, one of his older sons came out and said that we could see him. It was nice, but said we could see him like when everybody else left. So we just sat around and waited. I mean, this is the person you probably felt the closest in the world to. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like to be so on the outside? not having the ability to show up in the way that you would want to. I was angry, super sad about it. It's something that we had talked about a lot, that if something happened to him, that I would be on the outside. We never know when we're going to die. So he would assure me that that was just not going to happen, that everything would be figured out and he would do what he was supposed to do for years and years and years and just didn't. And so I was angry that we were on the outside and I felt like I should have been on the inside. Some of the things that you talked about that he was supposed to do, for example. Get a divorce, for one, (laughs) to start. That would be helpful. And that was something that it was a constant. Every January, I would remember, I'd write in my journal, like, this is it. This has to happen, or I'm not going to do this anymore. And we would come back around to it every year because I'm like, how many years? And the years go by so quickly. I'm like, I look back and I'm like, how did I do that for 16 years? Just hoping and waiting that it would actually happen one day. So that was one, that he was going to get a divorce. And ironically enough, about two weeks before he passed, he told me that his son was in from college and with all the boys home, he was going to tell them. So who knows if that was really what was going to happen, but that was the closest that I ever saw him to actually making that step. 
were those words. So that didn't happen. And also that we would be taken care of. He had something set up for us and I didn't see anything come about. So if it's out there, maybe floating around, maybe one day, but I just can't (laughs) imagine that it wouldn't have come to fruition at this point. As far as I know, there was nothing. And I didn't ask. I figured if it was in a will or something, I would have heard. So I'm sure there's probably not. What kind of question did your daughter have about that scene? When we were driving home, she said, why were they so angry at you? She couldn't quite figure out why. And so I told her that he was married. And she was like, what? Daddy was married? That means that he cheated? And that was pretty much just that ride home was the only conversation that we've had about that since then. Really? She hasn't asked. And that was it. What else is there to say? I don't know. Maybe eventually she'll have more questions, but that was it. I think especially at that age, they can digest a little bit of something. Someone was telling me kids go through topics kind of like they eat an apple. Like they take a couple bites and then they set it down. (laughs) So true. 40 minutes later, they come back and have another bite or two. You're right. I think that over time, I'm sure we'll revisit the situation. Were you waiting for like that call about the will or at what point did you let go of that? After I met his wife at Starbucks and Mm -hmm. she didn't mention anything about that, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I know that obviously they had something come from this financially And so when nothing was mentioned at that meeting, I figured that there was nothing there. How did that meeting come about? Who initiated that? She did. She sent a text message. Mm -hmm. So she had your number? She had my number because I reached out to her wanting to know when the service was happening, to let her know who I was if she didn't already know. Yeah. And that I wanted to be at the funeral or service or whatever it was going to be. I didn't know. And I never heard back from her then. So I had to find out about the service a completely different way. If you'd like to support our work with grief, gratitude, and greatness, consider becoming a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have a business that supports people who are listening to our show, let's talk about how you can sponsor an episode or two or three. To kind of take back your agency, did you honor his death in your own way? Did you do a private ceremony with your kids or some kind of ritual? Yes, we did. It was a ritual for sure. We set out our crystals in a circle and we had some sage and we had a tea that someone had suggested we put together, which was like good for grieving. I was like a little kitchen witch in there. I was putting all the herbs together and blending and mixing and we wrote out some things and then we burned them in a little fire just to let it go. Mm. So it was special. It was the three of us, which it's always been the three of us with him. Yeah. It was nice. To honor it, in a way that's important to you, particularly after that experience. From what I understand, you started to see the other side, right? It wasn't just that you were seeing someone who was married. You started to see that it was Kwame, actually, that wasn't exactly presenting himself 
it wasn't until he died, right, that you started to see that it wasn't right. really the person. How did that unfold? That unfolded at the Starbucks meeting. Yeah. <laughs> we were having a conversation about so many things. It was spiraling, but she had said something about, did you know about the other woman? And that was a knife to the heart. Mm-hmm. And then it was, well, what about the other kids? I was like, what? Yeah, there were three older adult children that I had no clue about. And two of them live here in the state. I sat stunned when she left. I just sat in the Starbucks and I remember getting out my phone and sending a message to my therapist telling her all this. And she's like, do you want to come in tomorrow first thing in the morning? I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, please. It was just awful because it was like, who was this person that I thought I knew so well? who made it seem like I was the best thing that ever happened to him. And he's just waiting until we can finally make it right and be together. And he would never be with anyone else. He even said, even if he were stranded on a desert island with Janet Jackson, nothing would happen. Then I thought, well, maybe he just doesn't like Janet Jackson all that much. <laughs> what about Holly Berry? Right. Somebody. Come on. <laughs> I don't. I just was so, yeah, it was really coming to terms. And I, I had nightmares for so so very long about this afterwards. It was probably a good nine or 10 months that I would dream about it every night. And it was haunting. I wanted to know, like, why did you not tell me the truth? Why did you hide the kids? And why did you say that you wouldn't be with somebody? It was haunting. I imagine that you were questioning all kinds of things he told you then. Oh, absolutely. Was he ever really going to leave? I questioned, did he really sleep in the guest house and the couch and all the places that he said he slept? Mm. Did he sleep with his wife? That was a question. But he portrayed it as, I just believed what he said. He just was so convincing that he was completely checked out of the other relationship and that he was here. And I questioned everything. I questioned when he went to play golf. Was she with him, the other woman, because she golfed too? I questioned everything. Before he passed, he was texting with this other woman. And he told me, because I saw it pop up on his phone, and he completely told me like a whole different story. And I remember being upset about it because it was like midnight and we had just come home. We went out dancing and then she's popping up on his phone. He said that it was somebody else. And I remember I Even the next morning, I was so distraught about it. And he convinced me again that that was nothing. Like, it was such and such. I'll say I had clues and my gut, because I remember feeling horrible about it. But he went out of his way to deny it. Did this other woman know about you? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she knows now. She wasn't at the service. No. We weren't supposed to be at the service. So no, she was definitely not at the service. His wife, it sounds like she was angry and you're not even sure if she knew about you, even though he led you to believe that she did. Mm -hmm. Did you get any clarity on that when you met with her? No. I mean, she said she did not know. Maybe there wasn't a conversation, but it would seem that there would be some indication that he's off doing something with somebody else. He was here a lot. So I don't know. How I figured is that I probably in my gut knew things that I didn't want to know. So I wasn't going to face them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was her experience, but that was definitely mine. 
It's interesting what our perception of a good or happy life is. Mm -hmm. I was reading this book, Three Women. It's a challenging book about three women's lives and particularly the romantic lives. And there's one young girl who ends up getting involved with her high school teacher. She comes forward about it years later because she's, this has just wrecked her. And his wife is definitely aware of what had happened, but completely denies it to preserve their life. Right. There's something just so incredibly appalling about an adult doing something like that to a child. But then there's this whole other layer of the sisterhood betrayal for a woman to do that to another woman. Right. But a child, you know, basically allow a child's life to be destroyed to preserve this perception of this life that she wants to keep going. Right. That you become accustomed to living and you don't want to change it. Not to draw those exact parallels because that's definitely a very different situation, but that comes to my mind. Yeah. I guess I asked myself that a lot as well. How could I do that? And I justified it in so many different ways. Thank you for listening in to this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. We appreciate you following the work we do and would love it if you'd share us with your friends and family. Your recommendation helps us reach more ears and build upon the work we're doing. How did you shift the focus from this man that you love that wasn't who he portrayed himself to be? And didn't follow through on all those promises. What did you do with that? At some point, I just realized that I was doing the same thing that he was. I had a secret, apparently, too. Not that I felt that it was a secret because it wasn't like I was keeping things in. But obviously, I wasn't as open in certain situations. I didn't go to his wife and tell her. So I was holding a lot of shame. Mm. But then he must have been as well. So I started to look at it. I felt sad for him that he had to live like that. And for me as well, like I spent 16 years living a lie or this life that the foundation was very, very rocky. And I just started to turn inward and see I had a big role in this as well. Did you have family or friends that would ask you about? No one really would say anything about our relationship anymore, like about if he's ever going to leave her or anything like that. It became so normal for us. So no one questioned it. Like, what are they going to say that I don't know already? What comes to mind right away is your parents, for example. My dad, he wouldn't ever say anything. They would hang out and play cards. It was just like buddy-buddy and we'd go out to eat. My mom, I ended up at some point just not really talking about him with her so much because I'm sure she wanted to say something, but she just wouldn't. So that was a source of shame or hiding a little bit. So I guess I would just downplay it. We just wouldn't really talk about him just because I didn't want to talk about, okay, so what are you doing? What is he doing? I didn't have an answer. So we kind of avoided those deeper conversations. How did they interact? How did your mom and he interact? Well, my mom lives in California, so they didn't see each other a ton. But when she was here visiting or when we were on the phone, it would be fine. She wouldn't talk to him about it or anything like that. So (laughs) So you weren't like in this fear, oh shoot, is mom going to say something? (laughs) Oh no. No. You didn't have that. I didn't have that. 
But it was still very uncomfortable, though. There was that undertone of anxiety about the situation, just in general. With my mom, they don't want their kids to be in situations like this. You were coming to terms with this complicity with the situation, Mm -hmm. your role in that. Right. What was that like? That was a lot of beating myself up. Like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Why would you do that? I wanted him to be happy. I loved him more than I loved myself. I came to find out I would have done anything for him. I just tucked away what I really wanted because I thought eventually I would get it and I would just settle for whatever he would offer. It really came to be like, okay, we're working on some self-love here, girlfriend. Lots of journaling and lots of therapy to turn the ship around. And has it been like a slow coming to this place or did something just boom, hit you? Or is it a little bit of both? It was slow. (laughs) I'd say probably more slow than anything. Yeah, just an everyday doing all of the things, the work, the journaling, the therapy, the meditating, yoga. Like I had to do those things every day just to ground myself and to sit in the truth of the situation and not run from it because that would have been easier to just be like it was what it was. But I had so much information that I had to do the digging and figuring it out. And you could have just not taken responsibility. Yeah. What would that look like? <laughs> I don't know. Right. Right. I applaud you for seeing takes two, right? And right. he didn't just do this to you. Right. But I imagine there was a certain amount of being hard on yourself. Oh, absolutely. In the beginning, I was definitely in victim mode. Like, how could he do this to me? And then I turned that around. Like, how could I do this to me? Yeah. Because I did all of those things that he did. I did them to myself. I allowed it to happen. Those were some hard moments. And sometimes it still is. It's not as often because I'm at a better place with my role in it. But absolutely, it was just a really long, long journey. Well, you said you've only really had that one conversation with your daughter. Right. I think one of the hardest things in parenting is recognizing that we model everything for them. How is that playing in your mind with her? Because she's definitely at an impressionable age. You mean as far as her following in these footsteps? In all of it, really. In that, but also in like how she comes to terms with the complicated story of her father and who her father is. Yeah. Over time, that will unfold. I feel like I'm at a better place now that I'll be able to help her through those, I guess, questions that she has it's going to come out at some point or she's going to have these feelings and questions. And that is hard. When he first passed, I would not open the newspaper because I didn't want to read about who he left behind because she's not going to be in there. Mm. All of those things she's not a part of. And I remember at first I was like, how can I make sure she's in his bios that are on the website? Because if she Googles him, his other kids are there and she's not there. So Those are things that are very challenging. And I just hope that I can be there to support her as she goes through it. But I don't have the answers for things like that, you know. Do you have ongoing rituals that you do to mark his lack of presence? Like, like here's what's so hard is now that you know this truth, he's also the father of your child. So it's not like you can fully just wash him away. He's forever a presence in the life you have. Right, absolutely. On like his death 
anniversary. Is that what you call it? I said, do you want to do something? And I don't know if she's like trying to suppress or she's just not super affected right at this moment where she is developmentally. So I don't know, but I am constantly doing things and I'll ask her if she wants to come in and do them. So right now she's not super interested, but it could be her defense mechanism. Well, it could just be being a child too. Right. I mean, that goes back to that modeling again, right? The traditions that our parents set tend to be the traditions we adopt as we get older. She might not be seeing the value and importance, but when she needs it, she can recall what you've done. Right. That's very true. What do you see as the greatest discovery in this experience for yourself? And it might be kind of sad that I don't know that I could have ever done this. I could have like created this space between the two of us. I feel like the universe swept in and it does what it does, that it did something that I don't think I was ever going to be capable of doing, which would have been to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. It was forced and I've learned so much from that. It had to be done so that I could, not that I, it had to be done. I mean, it is what it is. He is gone. So I guess it did have to be done, but that I'm just becoming so much more me, finding that truth within me. I think sometimes the clarity of the picture is there when we're not reflecting off of others. It's absolutely true. I can see so much clearer now of who I am. And it's different than who I was when he was here. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness was created by me, Sarah Shaul, and is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn with music by Samantha Jensen. Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Word of mouth helps us find new listeners, so please leave us a review and let your friends know about us. More information about this episode and how to contact us can be found in our show notes and at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You'll also find links to follow us on Instagram, Patreon, and Facebook. Join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.